This is the CHGO Cubs podcast. If you're watching us on the YouTube channel, you, you might be expecting Corey. He's not here. We have Jared Willis here, beard and all. I was expecting a cigar or some like whiskey or something, but the beard looks good. Uh, Corey's traveling right now, so we're happy to have Jared on. It's been a while since at least I've talked to you, Jared, so it's good to see you. And we don't have many moves to talk about, but we do have a lot of potential directions. We'll talk about some of the luxury tax implications. You and I want to talk about the back end of the rotation in the context of some of these surface level trade rumors. And we'll talk about where the Cubs are heading into this holiday break without any major moves yet. So before we get into it, uh, you haven't been on in a while. How are you feeling? You know, it's good that you're on because Corey and I, our conversations in the past two weeks have been up and down like a roller coaster. Like one minute we're anxious, other minute we're like, oh, it's part of the process. You, you're pragmatic, you're even cooled. It's good that you're on the show right now because we need some like yeah. some easiness with these conversations. Well, yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that we've experienced this offseason for the Cubs is there were some pretty high expectations and some pretty high expectations that were tied to specific names. And so then as the early weeks of the offseason have unfolded and Shohei Otani in particular not only goes to the Dodgers, but then, you know, you kind of learn that, you know, maybe the chances of him coming to Chicago were pretty slim to begin with. And that part of it, I think, was kind of disheartening for a lot of fans. Um, so I think some of the anxiousness just comes from there were high hopes for the offseason. And it's easy to start to feel like, the, these expectations are not going to be met. Um, but with that said, there's a lot of offseason left. Uh, the entire month of January into February, you know, we're still talking six, seven weeks where things can happen and stuff comes late sometimes. Um, and yeah. there are still some some significant names that are still out there. I mean, we Cody Bellinger, just to just to start. If, if the Cubs sign him at some of the dollar values that we've seen kind of floated out there, yeah. I think Cubs fans' perception of the offseason is going to change, you know, like that. So yeah. there's, you know, there's reason to feel a little disappointed, most definitely, because, yeah, Otani, that would have been just fantastic in a lot of different ways. But as far as the general tenor of the offseason, I, I think we're, you know, let's – let it develop. <laughs> it's it's difficult. The the past few off seasons have been so wild because before the pandemic, there were several off seasons where Boris and his and his players went into February with some of these contract negotiations. There were many off seasons where spring training was right around the corner and a bulk of players weren't signed yet. And then you know post pandemic and the lockout and some of the winter meeting activities from last season with Correa and the shortstop market accelerated things relative to years past. And now we're at this point in this offseason where it's almost reverting in terms of the bulk players are not coming off the board yet. Otani, a historical player, of course, holding that market up. Yamamoto, another potential 250 plus $300 million international player holding the market up. So it's it's unprecedented times. And to your point, you do have to take a step back, take a deep breath, and still acknowledge there is offseason to be played. It's the other perspective that fans have is a lot has to be done for the Cubs to be in position where they're obvious division contenders. So as spring training rolls around, you have the Cubs convention coming up. It appears as if there's so many moves that need to be made and the expectation that all these moves can be consolidated within a six month, within a six week window seems really ambitious. And I think that's where, at least personally, as my fan brand goes, I get a lot of uh, anxiousness with that. And I understand why fans also feel is like this is a big ask for the front office to do and to, to fill all these holes in a short period of time, seemingly. Yeah. And that's, that's a fair point for sure. And I think that's regardless of the, yeah, the timeline. You look at the roster as it stands now, and there are significant needs. And if we're talking about wanting to see this team make a significant step from what they did in 2023 um, and make that next step forward that we're all kind of expecting, 
then you have to address the fact that they they really do not have a first baseman. Yeah. Really don't have a third baseman and you don't have a full rotation at this point. There are a lot of other spots that are locked down pretty nicely, but those are major holes, especially I look at like the corner infield um, or the, you know, the corner spots in the infield. If you want to be a, a division contender, if you want to really realistically think about the playoffs, let alone making any kind of significant run, you've got to have those, those positions have to be in place and they just don't. And you're right. There's, it is a lot to get done in that amount of time, but things can happen. Things can develop quickly. Um, yeah. And I think it is good to remember that like past off seasons before lockout, before pandemic, that it wasn't out of the ordinary for things to take into first week of February or so before a guy would, you know, sign his next contract, especially some of these bigger names who they, they know that they can, they can get at least something really close to what they're asking for. And so it's sometimes to their advantage to take their time with the process and not yeah. rush the decision. Um, so there's that, but, but yeah, if you're, if we're talking about going into opening day, 2024 with the current roster, um, hard to feel good about that. Hard to feel good about this. And before we get into some of the luxury tax implications, what I want to talk about uh, in the first segment here is where you expect the Cubs are going to be once opening day stands and given all the moves that seemingly have to be made. But before we even get into that, I value that you're at Wrigley with Ryan. You get like an inside perspective, but more of like a personal perspective of how some of these guys are used. Christopher Morell used as a DH in the outfield over the years. Are you surprised how the Cubs are proceeding this offseason, not having locked down third base or even first base, despite you know the Boris clients and everything. Are you surprised that Morel over the past year and a half hasn't gotten a shot at third base? And are you thinking that he may get that shot? Or the Cubs, as we talk about this luxury tax and the potential free agents and trade targets, do you think Morel is just destined to not be that staple third baseman given your conversations on the field, even with David Ross, a former manager and the front office executives. Yeah, I think they may out of necessity get to a point where they have to really consider Morel as their, their third baseman, but it does, does not seem to be the case that that is their preferred option or even their preferred second option. Um, I expect that they're going to try to address third base differently. And if we get to spring training, and some of the initial stories are about here's Morel working at third base. That to me, that's going to mean that they were pursuing other things for third base that just didn't didn't pan out. Yeah. Um, is that is that fair to Morel? I don't know because I think he's probably capable of playing a good enough third base that what he will do with his bat is going to balance out maybe some defensive weaknesses. Cause I think with the thing with Morrell that we all kind of know is there are questions about his defense, which is a part of why he gets moved around because he doesn't necessarily have one spot where, you know, he's, he's really trustworthy here. So if he's playing third base full time, I'm not going to hate that. Um, But I do think that that's, that's a spot that they're going to look to, whether it's via trade um, they're, they're looking for somebody to fill that spot. That's not him. Yeah. I mean, the way I think about it is I'm fine with Morel getting time at third base. If the risk of him playing third base is offset with higher end offensive players, either in center field with Bellinger for, uh, to give time for PCA. And in addition with Reese Hoskins at first base, if you can offset that risk, I think that's fine. But there's a guy in Matt Chapman, whose projections from a free agent standpoint are pretty varied. MLB trade rumors gives Chapman a four-year, $80 million contract. Other outlets give him upwards to $150 million over five years. So the expectation of where he'll land is pretty varied. And I imagine from, from how the front office operates, if Chapman's around like an $80 million window, that's pretty enticing given how Jed's operated. And where the Cubs are right now, we can get into some of the luxury tax stuff and expectations. They have about $50 million before they hit that first tier tax right now. So when you factor in arbitration, you go to MLB COTS, uh, 
their projections, it's specifically 52 million before they hit the first tier of 237. Then after 237, the second tier is 257. After 257, the third tier is 277. Now fans look at the 277 tier as the threshold where the Cubs presumably won't pass because once you pass 277, you lose 10 spots in the MLB draft. Now, if you go over 237 to 257, you pay a 20% tax on the overage. Now, if you go over 257 from 40 million, from 20 million to 40 million, it's a 12% additional surcharge. Now, if you go over 277, now we're talking about a 42.5% surcharge. And then the percentages increase. Second consecutive year, let's say 2025, they go over again, you add 10% to 30%, and these start to snowball. So mm-hmm. from my perspective, trying to understand where the Cubs are, given how many moves they have to make to be obvious contenders right now, they're probably around 80 to 82 wins projected. The way I think about it is they need to be around 90 wins to justify approaching, getting beyond 257, approaching 277. But the way I'm starting to look at this now, given they have so many moves that have to be made. I'm I'm wondering to what degree would will Jed keep open the payroll, and will he be below the 237 to open the season as he was last year, or will he actually go and start the season around 245 and have a pillow before the second tier, or say screw it, we're going to blow past second tier before opening day get beyond 257 and have a $20 million window by the trade deadline where you can make moves from your perspective, Mm -hmm. talking to the front office, knowing Jed for multiple years, what's your inclination where they'll land before spring training and opening day begins? Well, I think if you think about what it's going to take, if, if you take that $52 million number to reach that first tier of the luxury tax, if you if you we're talking about Matt Chapman and Cody Bellinger, those two guys alone are probably going to get you pretty close to that. Like fifty million so, right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah. that you've left almost no wiggle room just by by those two guys alone. So with that in mind, it's hard for me to imagine them not at least getting close, like you said, two forty five, two fifty, where they're not quite at that second tier. They've got a little bit of room for as the season develops, depending on what needs to happen, say trade deadline. Um, I, that's, if I had to guess my, my expectation is for a team that realistically and plans to contend, which a lot of what they've done so far tells us that that's the case that you kind of have to expect you're going to go beyond that first tier um, by a little bit, because it's really hard for me to imagine that they're going to do Take that Craig Council move alone. A team that thinks that they're just going to be an 80, 81 win team in 2024. That's that was a pretty bold move. Yeah. Um to to have to fire your your current manager, who, you know, yeah, what there were you points to be made <laughs> both ways about the job. Very, very diplomatic. I like that. Um, <laughs> but I don't think I wouldn't say a bad manager you know, by any stretch. Um, I think, yeah, deserving of some criticism for sure. But but it's also, it's David Ross, a guy who was, you know, this beloved player during his short time in Chicago, significant part of the World Series team. So there's a lot, you know, there's a lot attached to that name here. So to make a move like that and then bring in, bring in Craig Council, who you are bringing from one of your fiercest rivals. Yeah. That's, that's you know, that that's a, gutsy move in some ways. And so, yeah, maybe you sign council because you think that, all right, 2024, maybe we're around 500, but we expect, expect to contend soon. But I really imagine or expect based on what they did this season, that they're looking at a whole lot more than let's just win 80, 80 games. How Um, do you, how do you balance that expectation with and we heard judges talk about this, and he used a phrase bloated payroll. How do you balance 
the prospect pipeline, which is inching towards Wrigley with hyper acceleration from Matt Shaw, PCA debuted last year. Alcantara, if he has a successful stint at AA, is going to be knocking on the door. Matt Mervis had a stint. How do you balance the Matt Chapmans, the Cody Bellingers, the Reese Hoskins, and bloating your payroll with the other side where you need, at some point, pre-ARB team-controlled guys? At some point, you need that. And to me, it seems like it's almost impossible to push your win projection to 90 plus for 2024 without sacrificing the potential to give Shaw flexibility if he accelerates by the end of the year, but even quickly with PCA and having him uh, assume Mm -hmm. a role by May and June, it seems like those are two clashing perspectives. And that's why I bring up like the payroll and the luxury tax where you can go over the first tier to start opening day, right? But as you start going to 257 and 277, if you do that, you kind of close the opportunities for these guys who Jed needs to produce to have that pre-ARP cost-controlled flexibility. I, I have a hard time reconciling those two clashing perspectives. Yeah, um, because we know that one of the things that can be frustrating to fans is when there are these prospects with such great potential at some point you want to see them not only get to the majors but get some notable amount of playing time so that you can get a sense for okay is this guy actually going to be a legit player at this level so in order for that to happen there has to be positions for them to play um and so if you do go out and you get Chapman, you you bring Bellinger back, then you are limiting some of those options. Um, I'm thinking about PCA specifically. I know that you know the, the hits weren't there in his very brief stint back in September, but if you look at the number of plate appearances that he had, it was so insignificant that we, we probably should just pretend like it didn't happen. Um, he's a player who I think this guy's got legit potential. So... I would like to see an opening there for him to come up and play center field on a full-time basis. Maybe not until six, eight weeks into the season, but I want to see that in 2024. So if I'm signing Cody Bellinger, then a part of that might be when the time comes, you, you slide over and become predominantly a first baseman. And do the Cubs want to spend 200 million to do that? Right. We're spending first baseman. Right. Yeah. Who's Um, center field money. Right. A big part of that is he gives you gold glove defense at center field. So that's that's a part of what you have to weigh out there as well. Because I've got to be honest, when it, it comes to Matt Mervis, um, I'm, I was, wasn't was sure about him before he debuted. I don't know that we saw enough to really make a call on the guy. I'm, I'm not ready to write him off just yet, but I'm, I'm not sold. So if I'm projecting first base in the future... I'm still, I've still got a lot of question marks with Matt Mervis. So to me, I, I want to see that, that position addressed specifically. And I think that has to come from outside. Yeah. I mean, Corey and I have talked about this for the past few weeks here. My, my perspective is oh, first off, always wrong. Cause I'm a fan. I don't have all the like, inside information, but you outlined what needs to be done. You need, PCA to perform a center field at some point, you need first base filled, you need third base filled, and you presented some of the issues with Matt Mervis's development and PCA, although insignificant in the short sample in September, nevertheless lacks confidence in assuming he can provide instant offense for 2024, right? So then you start thinking, if you're projected at 80 to 82 wins, you have a high degree of variability, right? And then you I start thinking, and it goes back to projections going into the season, how good are projections? How confident can you project a team? If you look at Pakoda, for example, how does Pakoda compare to expected record, the Pythag record that you see on fan graphs? Really bad. A third of teams miss the Pakoda mark by 14 wins. That's an enormous amount of error that I brought up uh, last week. So 
when Jed is talking about needing to have uh, a payroll that's not bloated and Banner's talking about giving guys opportunities to play, I understand that. But then in my mind, it starts ringing, well, what's the confidence that if you give these guys opportunities to play, they're, they're, they're going to produce value? Because we could be talking about the same situation 2025 and 2026. And ultimately, where my frustration lands is it is their responsibility, the front office's responsibility to find ways to get the most value out of these guys. And right now, you have Dansby, Nico, Ian, Saya. A trade seems like the logical and only the only route to be instantaneously competitive, but there should be, in my mind, more of an urgency to capitalize on the value that you know that you know that you have now and add to that and push yourself to that 92, 94 win projection. I I lack that confidence that's gonna happen this year and maybe 2025, although a lot has to be done, but it seems almost impossible to get to that. 94 win projection where the worst case scenario is you still can be a playoff contender if things fail. And I'm frustrated that it doesn't appear that we're going to get to that range unless Jess surprises us and we start making these trades. Yeah. Um, because I think if you think about next season and the expectation being that this is a team that's going to produce at, le- at least a winning record, then yeah, your margin for error gets gets pretty significant because you 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 do have to project for a team that we think can win at least ninety games, and yeah. we, we don't think that no one thinks that the team that they currently have can do that. No. Um, like if you like, so let's say you projected eighty two wins, right? That's what right. he said, maybe around like five hundred team. And your, your worst score is like seventy. So, yeah, exactly yeah. right. And so, if you look at the Cubs in 2023, they went to, they went into the year as a 78 80 win team, and their expect their expected record was around 91 wins. Their actual record was 83 wins, right? So they still had that like ceiling. They hit the ceiling of their expected wins. Now their actual wins didn't align, but they actually hit their top tier ceiling, right? You can imagine yeah. going the other way. Where if you go into the season 2024, you're projected at 82. To your point, your floor is 70. That's too much error. You need to account for that somehow. And how they get to that point where you're accounting for that error in free agency, it's not possible given who's left on the market. And then through trades, it seems like it will take an enormous amount of creativity to get that floor higher, as you said. And I think that if they're going to... Go go the route of of making some trades, which I think that's that would be wise in my opinion to at least address whether it's a, you know a pitching need or one of these these corner infield spots. Um, then we're gonna have to we're gonna have to do the thing that that fans never seem to like, which is these prospects that we get so excited about and we spend so much time following what they're doing and picturing them at Wrigley Field. Then. You might have to, and because we've been through it before, we saw it happen in 2016, and when they won the World Series, correct? Yes, when, when they won yeah. the World Series, um, and sometimes that's the trade-off you have to be willing to make. And I, even back then, fans had a hard time with accepting, you know, like the the Glaber Torres trade, for instance. And um, but look what that got you. And I know the following year that was the when they sent Dylan Cease and Eloy Jimenez across town and, and that's not quite worked out the way that, that the Cubs hoped for in 2017, but that's the part of making those trades when you're trying to be a team that's contending while also trying to balance your payroll is you stockpile these prospects. And a part of the reason you do that is so that you have them as trade pieces um, when the, when the opportunity is there. Yeah. All right, let's hit our first ad break here, come back around, talk about not the prospects, but some of the back end of the pitching stuff. And they're in the same discussion, some of these back end pitchers on the trade market. Does it make more sense to trade those guys away than accept some of the growing pains on their development? So we'll hit that once we go through these first two ad breaks here. So 
First one from our new sponsor, Prize Picks. This podcast is presented by Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Use promo code CHGO for a first deposit matchup up to $100. Prize Picks is the largest daily fantasy sports platform in North America. We are the easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. It's just you against the numbers. Instead of bet- battling thousands of other players, including pros and sharks, you pick more than or less than on two to six player stat projections and watch the winnings roll in. With basketball season here, you can now pick combo projections across football and basketball from the Specials League, a league created specifically for combo projections that include two or more players from different sports or leagues. For example, DeMar DeRozan and DJ Moore at a 10.5 combo of three points made or receptions. Price Picks is really simple to play. I can make my picks and submit my entry in less than 60 Seconds, go to prizepicks.com slash CHGO and use code CHGO for a first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepicks.com slash CHGO and use code CHGO. Daily fantasy sports made easy. Second break here from our partner, Ray Chevrolet, is having the biggest sale of the year right now. Make your way to Ray Chevrolet and Route 12 and Fox Lake to join in on the savings for their model and sales event. As one of the top selling Chevy dealers in the Midwest, you'll always be able to shop one of the Chicagoland's largest Chevy inventories. But right now, they're trying to make room for the incoming 2024 models. So all their current inventory must go. Plus, you can find a perfect tailgate vehicle at Ray Chevy because they have over 100 new Silverados in stock. And that's not all. Get 0% financing with $0 down and zero payments until spring of 2024 or save over $3,000 on a new Chevy Blazer, $4,000 on an Equinox or over $10,000 on a Silverado. And to top it all off, they're pricing over 125 vehicles under $20,000. Seriously, guys, you can get pricing more affordable anywhere? No, you cannot. And I know everyone loves the word free, and that's what you'll get this month at Ray Chevrolet in Fox Lake, a free oil change. And all you need to do is mention CHGO when scheduling your oil change online or on the phone. You better hurry. This exclusive offer ends December 31st of this year. And visit Ray Chevrolet in Fox Lake or RayChevrolet.com to get your model year-end savings. They've been serving the community since 1963, find new roads. I was reading all those savings ads. It's made me think of, uh, that's probably Jed Hoyer's dealer, uh, Chevrolet there. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, he's uh, he's got to be a fan of those discounts. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Free oil change. And Jed will be there every, every single month. But uh, let's get into this whole Cleveland Guardian rumor discussion. Now, these are a combination of like fan speculation as well as some uh, hinting from the national media. But the thinking is the guardians being cost conserved, having Shane Bieber, who's one year away from free agency uh, do around 12 to 15 million in arbitration. They likely would want to shed that contract, especially given some of the velocity concerns of Bieber over the past couple of years. Simultaneously, they have a first baseman, Josh Naylor, who is not your typical power first baseman who is entering his first year in arbitration. His contract is about to get more expensive as a result. And again, first base, you want to have maybe more of an offensive bat there. Naylor, while good, is not your overpowering first baseman bat. You can see the matchup making sense. From the Cubs perspective, they get a first baseman. They get Shane Bieber for one year. They are willing to have some of that money given their payroll flexibility. From Cleveland's side, they're familiar with Carter Hawkins. They know they have that relationship. They have the potential guys they would want to target given the Cubs' surplus of young guys. It seems to make sense where the Cubs can get talent at a cost-efficient rate, give up prospects, not top prospects, the top five in their system, but guys who they are comfortable giving away to get back uh, immediate value. From your perspective, Josh Naylor, Shane Bieber, is that sufficient? Does that meet your expectations? Um, no. It doesn't <laughs> I like mean, that. I, yeah. It doesn't mean I don't like it, but 
I would if they if they make that move, I'd be happy with that move as a step because I think they would have effectively addressed two significant needs. But going back to what we were talking about before the ad break, um, is that enough to put you up closer to that 90 win projection? You're closer, but you still have a little ways to go. So yeah, the short answer is, you know, I, I yes, I'd be happy with that move, but as if that's their approach to the off season, I would say, okay, you may, hopefully you're going to be active at the trade deadline. Um, Cause that by itself isn't enough. Uh, yeah. In my opinion, I, again, like the move or, you know, the, the hypothetical move, but I would want to see more. Yeah. I mean, Naylor is a quality player. And if mm-hmm. you look on social media, I would say the overwhelming majority of fans would welcome his value. He's someone who has an above average contact rate, 84%. He has modest power, 17 to 20 home runs the last two years. Where I fall back on, I might be on the more like negative side with Josh Naylor. And the reason that I think that is because one, his chase rate is among the most aggressive in the league. We're talking about like two percentage points lower than Javi Baez. We're talking about like a fifth percentile chase rate. So you can imagine we're talking about floors, right? A floor for Josh Naylor, even though he has good contact, to me over a three-win window, three-year window, is low. The athleticism is not good. His sprint speed is slower than Jan Gomes, for example. Uh, From a base running value perspective, he's in the 15th percentile, and he's positioned only at first base. So this is a guy who is really pushed into a corner, no pun intended, with modest power, an aggressive plate approach that is going to leave some fans, including myself, a little, little skeptical. And I see a hole at first base that can be filled with Cody Bellinger, Reese Hoskins, mm-hmm. or more creative traits. So for me, in a vacuum, Naylor makes sense. But for the Cubs to push that ceiling, that extreme ceiling, Naylor, given the power he's shown given the chase rate his ceiling is a little bit too low for me and the floor maybe in the first went first year is fine i'm worried about 2025 2026 as he starts to age and become more expensive i don't really like the match to be quite honest even though again in the vacuum it, it does appear to make some sense yeah and i think the, the the power aspect of it especially is something that would be you'd have to really be aggressive about addressing that need somewhere else because as a team the cubs don't they they lack for that and so one of the things that you need is somebody who can supply more power to that lineup because it's like really, where are you gonna it's like where are you gonna get that though you know right it's like so i mean do you want to wait for owen casey do you want to uh i mean make more yeah. creative trades but like on the market it's not there other than potentially emphasis on potentially Cody Bellinger because we know what he's capable of. Does that mean he's going to go out and do it anymore? We still don't know because he gave one really great bounce back season with the Cubs in 2023. But if you're projecting forward, is this because he's done it with the Dodgers earlier in his career, you know, 40 plus home runs. But do I want to bank on that down the road? I I can't. Um, So yeah, I don't know where where that power comes from, but I think what that team has lacked for offensively for the last several years has been they can get some guys on base, um, but it's they're they're lacking that, that that pop. Yeah, it's just not it's not been there. No, and that that's kind of where I fall back to. And again, it makes sense in a twenty twenty four window. Naylor is going to be paid, you know, maybe five million or so, just. You know, ballparking it. And then even from Bieber's perspective, 12 to 15 million arbitration, that makes sense too. But it's kind of viewed in the same context of this volatility that we're talking about, right? And whereas the Cubs lack pop offensively, they also lack pop from their pitching perspective. And they would be acquiring Bieber, who's throwing three miles per hour slower, who in the past few years has had elbow and shoulder injuries. And we talked about glass now not having thrown over 125 innings. Likewise, you can also have some uncertainty with Bieber because of those injuries and the declining stuff that has gone 
with that, then it leads to, okay, how is your starting pitching depth? So for me, for Cleveland, I can see the fit making sense, but it has to be secondary to other primary moves where you can shore up the top end of your rotation. But on the free Asian market, does that exist? You have Blake Snell, who obviously had an amazing year, but still has some volatility over the past few years. It, It leaves me very unsettled and it almost makes me feel as if, if you're going to go out and trade prospects, Assuming even it's a mo- even if it's a modest package for Bieber, it almost makes sense just to bring back like Stroman for like a year, two year with some options, who has some freaky injuries, but nevertheless has a more reliable inning projection with overlapping value projections as Shane Bieber at around a five million dollar esque or so difference. And and someone who you already know is going to work well with the defense that the Cubs have with yeah you know, the group that's behind him. We saw how successful he was up through up through June when the injuries started to, you know, have have their impact. So if if those are the options, then I think I'd have to agree. I kind of like the idea of going back to and let's let's talk to Stroman about coming back. Um yeah. like you can imagine him being like uh you know he likes to bet on himself. That's why he opted mm-hmm. out of his contract. You can imagine you guarantee him you know, let's say 22 million. Okay. You give him a two year contract, 22 million annual average value or 23. And you give him a player option that he can opt out again for 5 million. So he has the potential to make 28 or so million second year guaranteed at a lower payout. So the overall annual average value is 23 ish or so million. And I think the Cubs would actually be interested in that and Stroman gets potentially way more money up front and the ability again to bet on himself if he is successful in 2024. And an option like that puts him in a better position to have a fully successful season. So if he wants to opt out after a year and go go check out free agency again, he'd potentially be in a much, much better spot because any team that he's talking to right now He's he's working from yeah I had a really good first not even quite first half but we'll call yeah. it first half great you know even like Cy Young caliber first half All Star but then injuries he did not look good when he came back he probably was coming back before he should have um, and so that that plays a role in in these negotiations in these discussions so I think that's I. I would be seriously tempted to do that. Yeah. As time goes on, I'm starting to buy into more of that idea. Now, when yeah. when the offseason started, I, like many other fans, thought Strowman opting out would give them the financial freedom to go out and add a top ceiling pitcher in glass now, for example. Mm-hmm. But that's not possible anymore, right? So now, right. unless it's through a different type of trade or you want to accept a high degree of risk in Blake Snell, it seems as if Stroman coming back is more interesting and potentially actually makes sense for both parties. Yeah, and if, if you did something like two years at, call it $23 million total, yeah. you could even front load it a little bit so that that first year is worth a little bit more for him. So yeah. You know, we'll give you 14 or 15 in year one with an opt out. And that's a very like that's a contract that favors the player heavily. Um, but I think it's still it would help the Cubs significantly, at least for next year. Um, and it's something that he'd be inclined to at least think about seriously, because if he can have a, a fully healthy 2024, then, yeah, by all means, opt out. Um Thanks for everything. Good luck in free agency. Yeah. Um, I, the more I think about it, the more I like. I this know the, you and I are both talking ourselves into it. Yeah. I mentioned this to uh, you know Corey offline. He's not into it whatsoever. But okay. the the, con- the context has changed. The off season has moved again. The market is still open, but the top tier talent is closing off. So you have to adjust somehow. And the market might favor Stroman coming back to the Cubs. And from the Cubs perspective, if you can lock down and guarantee a second year at basically the same annual average value for a guy who to your point fits well defensively with this team, it kind of makes sense. Like you have a good bet that he's going to live up to that 22, 24 million 
uh, value because that's the equivalent of like a two to two and a half, three win pitcher. And his profile, absent of an injury, seems to project well to meet that value. So I like it, but a lot of people are more aggressive and they rather go out and spend money on Blake Snell, for example. Any thoughts on Snell from your point of view? For me, the the risk is too much. I like Snell. It depends what they do to surround Snell with, but I don't like in principle spending him coming off a platform year with enormous volatility in years in recent history. And I, to me, it's a little unsettling. Yeah. I don't like that idea as much because I think if they're going, if they are going to spend significantly this off season, they need to focus on, I, I know I keep saying it, but those corner infield spots yeah, um, or whatever, you know, the Cody Bellinger, however you end up slotting him defensively. That's, that's where I would devote more of my money. Um, just because Blake Snell, when you talk about investing in a top, top of the rotation kind of guy, I'm not comfortable with, with him, you know, as, as that big contract. Um, because I do think I'm, I'm a pretty strong believer in the, the top half of that rotation. I think the Cubs are in decent shape spots one, two, and, and maybe three. Um, and I think that they'd be better served to, again, Stroman or even, like I said earlier, I wouldn't hate the Shane Bieber trade because he could slide in at three, four, and, and that's not so bad. Um, so if they're going to spend big, you know, make it make it Bellinger or Chapman or or someone like that. Yeah, I mean, so Snell before last year, 2022, 128 innings, had a decent year still, 3.4 year array, 2.8 FIP, 2021, again, 128 innings, 4.2 ERA, 3.8 FIP, quality pitcher, but to spend money, you want to eat innings. You want right. the assurance that your guy is going to go out there on a year-to-year basis and eat at minimum 29 starts. The best case scenario would be 31, 32 starts as you got from those, you know, John Lester type years back in those, you know, mid 2010s. So if you're going to spend the money to your point, I would be surprised that Jed would go out and spend the money on a, a Snell type pitcher versus shoring up the corners or giving yourself the flexibility with Cody Bellinger to play center as PCA develops. It has a higher floor if you go out and spend that way. And then if you look at the starting rotation, Justin Steele as your top guy, you have uh, a booming pitching death potentially with Jordan Wicks and if Wisniewski develops and Assad in the back and Horton coming up potentially and Ben Brown, yada, yada, yada. So there's a lot of potential there, still a lot of volatility there. And I think it's a, it's a worthwhile discussion to have about the back end pitching depth, which we'll do coming up, coming uh, up after this ad break here. But I feel as if there's not much, there's a lot of, hype on the back end of the pitching. I share that hype, but there's still conflict of slotting and projectable value. So I'm curious to get your thoughts uh, about the back end of the, of the rotation here. All right. So another quick ad break here from Charlie, the bacon guy, Charlie, the bacon guy is based out of Woodridge, Illinois, and he makes craft bacon and bacon jams in over 30 different flavors. The bacon and bacon jams are an all naturally cured, fancy preservative-free product. There are not any ingredients that Charlie can't pronounce himself. Involved in the process, unlike most store-bought bacon, is vacuum-sealed, freezes great, lasts in the package up to 45 days in the fridge, and six months in the freezer. Bacon jam lasts about 60 days in the fridge, usually about 20 seconds in my house. And up to six months in the freezer, there's several favorite flavors, the maple pepper, the Nashville hot, French toast, buffalo ranch, jalapeno, garlic. Jared looks to me like a buffalo guy. Just That's my guess. Yeah, he's not in his head right now. And the bacon jam goes perfectly in anything. Scrambled eggs, toast, crackers, burgers, grilled cheese, cinnamon rolls, or Charlie's favorite, the spoon. You can pick it up or... Charlie will deliver it to you, meet you halfway, or even ship it. He makes the bacon so you can bring it home starting now until uh, the end of the year. You can save 10% off on your first order at charliethebaconguide.com. When you use code CHGO10, get your orders in and use that code to save. With Empire Today... 
You get shop at home convenience, the right product for your needs, quick and professional installation, and a low price guarantee. Empire today is the best place to get new flooring. So of course they have copycats, but Empire can't be beaten on quality service speed. So competitors advertise low quality products to Empire simply will not carry. Empire won't promise the lowest prices because anyone who does is putting flooring in your home, they would not put in their own home. They also have this virtual floor designer. It's a great way to see how new floors will look in any space. It's easy. Just snap a picture and instantly see how new floors will look in your room. Shopping for floors at a big box store can be frustrating. You might talk to someone today who was working in plumbing yesterday. Flooring is all Empire does. They live and breathe flooring so you can be confident you're getting honest upfront advice. Schedule an in-free home estimate today. All listeners can receive a $350 off discount when they use promo code CHGO. Restrictions do apply. See empiretoday.com slash CHGO for details. Okay, so starting pitching, backhanded starting pitching. Javier Saad, Hayden Wisniewski, Ben Brown, AAA, Horton will need to develop. Can't count on maybe more than eight or so starts next season. What is your preferred way to start opening day in principally looking at Javier Assad and Hayden Wesneski, how do you project council to use those two guys? Is it going to be Assad to start the season? Is it going to be Wesneski getting another chance? How do you suspect that will happen? Whew. That's, I mean, that's a, t- a tough question because it's the kind of thing that like, you know, I, I might give you one answer now. And if you ask me the same question tomorrow, I'll, have changed my mind a little bit yeah um because on one hand i look at wesneski and based on what he's done so far it's tempting to start to think about him as like maybe this is a guy we need to talk about as a bullpen pitcher figuring out a good bullpen role for him because he's got some seriously good stuff but the results from him as a starter have been pretty mixed at best um but then at the same time, I look at him and, and I he's 26 years old. So he's had a fair amount of innings in the majors at this point, but he's still pretty young. So the potential for him to, to still develop into a, a legit starter, I think is still there. Um, but as things stand now, I would lean toward let's go Javi Assad in the rotation. Uh, was just so impressed with the way he pitched last season. Um, and not only the way he pitched, but the composure that that guy has, the way that Assad carries himself. Um, I have never heard guys in a locker room talk about a teammate the way that they talk about. That's the, that's the, the interesting part about his game. Yeah. I remember in uh, Cubs Con last year, I forgot who it was, but he was asked a question, who was the best fastball in the Cubs staff? And people mentioned Javier Assad which yeah. blew my mind because from a stuff perspective, he doesn't rate anywhere near close to that. But then other guys started to say, oh, Javier Saad's one of the better pitchers continuously mm-hmm. on the staff as the year went along. And it just it surprised me how much um, trust and how much respect he's, he's, he's received from the staff. He, and yeah, he, and not just from the staff, like the position players who went out of their way and made a point to mention him by name. Mm. Uh, Nico Horner did it at one point during the season. Um, there are quite a few guys, and, and yet yeah, not just pitchers, but position players who, who, without having been asked about him, make a point to talk about how much they respect him and how good they think he is. So if he's earned that amount of respect from that locker room, then there's, there's something there. And so, that's why ultimately, I, if I'm setting the rotation right now, going into spring training, like treating this as, all right, you guys are getting ready to be my starters. That's why I'm putting Assad in that group and probably not Wesneski. I think the last spot I would be looking at your Jordan Wood, Jordan Wicks, your Ben Brown, your some of those guys who haven't had so much of a look yet um, and wanting to see what those guys can do. Yeah, I look at Wisniewski and it's a, it's a timing potential problem. The timing is the Cubs have a win window, hopefully 2024, 2025. And we need to lock down projectable value with Hayden. The ceiling is high. The floor is also low with Hayden. 
the sinker, the sweeper is really among the best in the league. We're talking about 20 inches of horizontal break where Hayden struggled is he doesn't have a primary dominant fastball to match that where you saw last year, there were times where his fastball had too much run. Tyone talked about his own problems with his four seam running seven inches. Wisniewski also runs around seven inches, but he doesn't have the carry that Tyone has to go along with that. And it rates as a result among the lowest valued fastballs in the league. So the question becomes, can Hayden develop a dominant hard pitch type to offset his inherent problems with fastballs? If he doesn't, two things need to happen. One, he needs phenomenal command, which he had in late 2022 when he debuted, or he needs to develop some other type of pitch, whether it be a harder cutter. And his current cutter, it rates pretty well as like a 60 on the 80 scale by uh, by stuff models. He had problems with it last year with using it as a dominant pitch type because that also has a little bit more depth to it. It drops a little bit more. And as a result, it's not particularly advantageous against the left-handed batters. Um, and it got lit up. So for him to develop a, a hard pitch, that cutter likely needs to have some more higher induced vertical break. And that might be one way of going about it. But you look at him versus uh, Assad. Assad is more or less a polished product. Yes, he can improve on some of his pitch types, but you have an idea of what you can get from Assad. He's a guy who has a very diverse repertoire. He can throw a cutter, sinker, four seam, a slower breaker, change if needed. He already has the ability to be diverse against multiple lineups where for Wisniewski, he's limited. And then you start thinking because he has that sweeper, because you can offset some of the problems facing left-handed batters, he could be your wipeout guy. He could be your wipeout reliever. And even in a one, two inning role, which has been valuable on, on the open market. So I think if winning were the number one priority in 2024, it makes way more sense to start Hayden out of the bullpen give Assad the chance and keep the room open for Hayden to develop using size sessions, get that harder uh, fastball subtype. But I think the expectations right now is that you can't rely on Hayden to be a starter. Whereas you can rely at least from opening day to give Assad some innings. Yeah. Because like what we've seen with Wes Neske is for as good as that sweeper is, if that's the only pitch that's really reliable, then it has to be very, very good, but you can't you can't make that work across multiple innings or yeah. being an order through second or definitely not a third time. But yeah. in a bullpen role, when you're only going to go out and face, yeah, you can just wipe it out, right? Um, that can work just fine. But at this stage in his career, I think it, I think it's possible that he can develop some of those those other pitches so that he can balance that out. Um, but given their, you're right, given where things are for them right now, he may not get that opportunity, um, which might actually make him an enticing option for other teams because right. they might look at him and say, okay, well, Cubs, you're not in a position to develop this in him, but we think we can do that for whatever reason. So yeah, we'll take West Nesky. You know, so. it's, it's such a weird timing thing because yeah. in one sense, you do want to develop these pitchers and in another sense, you do have a win window open, but at the same time, you don't have a confident win projection for 2024. So it is a really weird way to think about all of this, you know? Yeah. Um, and Wisniewski's name has been brought up with like Ben Brown in, in trade rumors as well. So it is just, it's so difficult to reconcile all these clashing perspectives right now. It really is. And I think that's a big part of what has made getting a sense for what to expect in 2024 really difficult. I mean, obviously we'll get some clarity, you know, after the holidays and as we get into the last part of the off season, but yeah, where yeah. things stand right now, it, it's very hard to imagine what this team is going to look like yeah. next season. Yeah. Um, and you have to slot in Jordan Wicks for, mm -hmm. I was talking to uh, the Gregs, as I call him, Greg Sumac and Greg Huss, uh, 25 starts given how guys have escalated their innings on a year to year basis. So in my mind, I'm kind of locking in Wicks for 25 starts and 
that might be ambitious from other perspectives, but because Wicks has a diverse pitch repertoire and he has a good straight four seam developing three different breaking pitches, he already has that changeup. I I'm pretty comfortable at least going into the year having Wicks as like your four fifth guy with 25 starts. And that also moves the discussion on Hayden and Ben Brown. And to your point, maybe having other teams trade for them and develop those guys. So the timing is quite different now. It is. And I think if you can get that from Jordan Wicks, that also opens up the possibility of, I don't have it in front of me as far as what Wesneski's options look like, but having him spend part of his season in AAA deliberately working on those, those, those things that he would need in order to be a successful starter, because that's the place where you do that, Um, especially on a team that's trying to contend. So that would open up that possibility where then now the opportunity for the Cubs is there to have Hayden in Iowa working on those things so that if it works out, then you can bring him up and and he's going to slide into your rotation pretty nicely. But I still think that's, it's a pretty high variable because you're you're asking a lot of Jordan Wicks without having seen that anything close to that from him at the major league level. Yeah. And before we hit this last ad break here from uh comment, my last thoughts on Wisneski. He's been an interesting follow with him being traded from the Yankees and we know we knew he had the natural sweeper and he had the Incredible success to end 2022, the immaculate inning, uh, where the surprising decline or regression, if you want to call it that, was just that command. So the thinking going into 2023 was, yes, his fastball rates poorly. Yes, he doesn't have uh, the type of mechanics that lead to having good fastball run value, but you can offset that if you can command those pitches well. And he just didn't do that. So there's always in the back of my mind a possible outcome where the sweeper is likely going to maintain his value, but he can still complement that with better command. And is that accomplished in Iowa? I would have a hard time thinking it would be because they need even bullpen depth. I mean, they're right now their projected innings from the starting rotation is no one above 180 innings. And then likewise in the bullpen, your top projected guys are Merriweather, who's never had this type of uh, high burden from one season. You have Alzali with a reoccurring history of forearm injuries and biceps injuries. And can you count on him? And you have Julian Mer- Then you have a uh, uh, lighter who had some also issues yeah, Brendan, you know, like you said, there are some injury question marks in the uh, in the bullpen. Some of those guys who, like we saw last season, we know that we're going to need extra arms or other people that can pick up some innings. And Wesneski is somebody that's that's going to help on that front. And like I said, I think potentially I could see even going high leverage innings at some point um, if he continues to develop. Uh, that sweeper especially. So do I want to take the closer spot from Alzali? Not necessarily, but I, I'm having visions of Wisniewski in this. So. I mean, if you like swing and miss, uh, yeah. Alzali has been great at the bullpen, but if you want swing and miss as a max out effort guy, I would it's bet enticing. more money Wisniewski would be your guy. It's enticing for sure. It's, it's very yeah. enticing. All right. So, Jared, let's end this show with our Comet sponsor. It's getting easier for businesses to switch to electric vehicles. That's something we can all get behind for the health of the planet and for the well-being of all of us who share it. Yeah, the electric grid is evolving to meet your cleaner energy needs as we all move with confidence toward an electric tomorrow. Whether you have one delivery van or a whole fleet of shipping trucks, Comet can help you help guide you to make the changes that make sense. So what should business owners do? Well, Brendan, they should go to comed.com slash clean to learn more about the resources, fleet rebates, and infrastructure incentives available to help businesses go electric. If you own a business, don't wait. Start making your plan today to switch to electric vehicles. Good for business, good for the planet, good for all of us. Go to comed.com slash clean. Did you say comed.com slash clean? Indeed, I did. So go now and see how going electric connects us to a better way of doing business and a better future for generations to come. All right, Jared. So this wraps up our show. 
Uh, I don't know if we solved any issues. I don't know if I feel better. I thought I would feel better talking to you. I don't know if I do, uh, to be honest with you. There's a lot more that has to be done. But they have too much that needs to be fixed. Yeah. Can you like okay. listen, man? You're in the clubhouse. You're talking to the front office executives. Can you and Ryan like figure this out for us? Can you text Jed and just like? I after on. we get off of here, that's what that's what we're gonna do. I think Ryan and I will hop on a call with Jed and be like, listen, we uh, just. I mean, just sign the, you know, sign the checks, whatever. We've got this figured out. Help us. I asked Ryan. I'm like, look, can I, can I have Jed's number? I'll do it myself. You don't want to do it. Like, I'm glad. Yeah. I'll gladly take the fall for us. But someone needs to do it. Somebody's, so, got, somebody's got to do it. Someone's got to do it. All right. This wraps up the show. Um, Corey and I will be back next Thursday again. Thanks for coming on, Jared. Um, always enjoy your your riding over the years you're like the ultimate professional you're you're very consistent you're like the john lester of beats that's how i always, always wow. describe you to Corey. so i appreciate you coming on here and and uh definitely look forward to talking more with you and uh i definitely encourage all of our readers to read your work get that die hard membership jared and Ryan, uh jared and, and ryan are two of the best um and for all of the former and current listeners we've had, Jared was my first guest on a podcast Corey and I did I about it. nine years ago, which is crazy to think about. You have yeah. more gray hair in your beard. I know. This is looking a little different now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, I'm starting to get some grays in mine too. I'm really freaking out about that. I feel like I'm too young <laughs> for that to happen, but it is happening. So again, thanks, Jared. And uh, we'll be back next Friday morning to recap hopefully some excitement. Thanks again for listening. And as always, go Cubs. We all silly like the mayor. 